Welcome to another episode of the SaaS Podcast. I'm your host, Omar Khan, and this is the show where I interview proven founders and industry experts who share their stories, strategies, and insights to help you build, launch, and grow your SaaS business. Okay, today's interview is with Ben Congleton. Ben is the co-founder and CEO of Olark, a tool that brings hassle-free live chat to your website. Olark is a Y Combinator startup that was founded in 2009. Today, Olark has over 5,000 customers in 151 countries and has grown into a multi-million dollar business. Is your team struggling with spreadsheets that can't keep up with your workflows? It's time to switch to Jotform Tables. Jotform Tables is an all-in-one workspace that lets you collect, organize, and manage data seamlessly. Not only can you create online forms to gather data directly in Jotform Tables, but it also serves as a powerful tool to manage and analyze the data collected from your existing Jotform form. You can also import spreadsheets or enter information manually, and all your data is stored securely in one place. Jotform Tables makes collaboration a breeze. You can share your tables with a single click and work with your team in real time. Say goodbye to version control issues and hello to efficient teamwork. Get started with Jotform Tables for free today at sasclub.io slash jotform. That's sasclub.io slash jotform. Are you looking to sell your online business or buy one to start your entrepreneurial journey? Discover exciting opportunities with Bupos.com. Bupos is the number one platform for buying and selling profitable online businesses and the first to offer built-in acquisition financing for qualified buyers. At Bupos.com, you can explore their exclusive listings, browse listings from other marketplaces, or submit your own deal for approval. Bupos can offer pre-approved financing for recurring revenue businesses, allowing you to access fast funding with no personal guarantees. And their experienced M&A advisory team supports you every step of the way. To learn more, visit sasclub.io slash Bupos. That's sasclub.io slash B-O-O-P-O-S. Sign up today and get qualified to sell your business or find your next deal. Hey there, SaaS founders. Are you looking to grow your B2B SaaS business to the first million in annual recurring revenue? I've got something that can help you. Introducing the SaaS Club newsletter, your weekly source of proven strategies, practical insights, and exclusive interviews with successful B2B SaaS founders who've been in your shoes and are ready to share what they've learned. Each week, you'll get a quick five-minute read delivered straight to your inbox, full of growth tactics, lessons learned, and insider tips to help you tackle those early stage challenges and grow your business to seven figures and beyond. So what are you waiting for? Head over to sasclub.io slash newsletter and join over 4,000 other SaaS founders and entrepreneurs who are already using these insights to grow their businesses. Subscribe to the SaaS Club newsletter today and get the support you need to keep moving forward on your SaaS journey. Ben, welcome to the show. Omar, thanks to be here. So I've told our audience just a little bit about you. Tell us in your own words a little bit more about you personally and then give us an overview of your product and business. Sure, I'll try to, I'll try to keep the overview kind of brief. Uh, for me, I've sort of been an entrepreneur for, uh, I would say, almost all my life. Like I've never really worked uh, for someone else. So even when I was in high school, uh, you know, most kids on the side had like little odd jobs or whatever. I was online on the internet uh, doing consulting services. And so uh, through high school, through uh, undergraduate, and then I was actually working on a PhD when I was, uh, you know, before I left that to go found Olark. I've always basically just done schooling and uh, and entrepreneurship as sort of my entire, uh, you know, source of income 
and uh, just you know what I what I've been up to. I founded my first company when I was in high school. I think right around uh, 1998, I started this company called Nethernet that was doing uh, web consulting, which sort of spun into a web hosting company. And so I ran this web hosting company when I was in uh, undergrad, or not, uh, yeah, throughout undergrad, uh, and ended up selling it right around the same time that we started uh, started Olark. Uh, so, was, so I don't know. I've been I've been doing this stuff for a while. Uh, it, personally, I think. You know, I, I really enjoy uh, learning. I think that that's part of the journey of being an entrepreneur is just, you know, going and attacking problems that you don't really know a lot about and learning as much about that problem and trying to solve it and just doing that over and over again. So uh, it's worked out pretty well. And then on the side, you know, I enjoy uh, a crazy adventure here and there or, uh, uh, you know, playing playing competitive team sports and doing uh uh, rock climbing when I can. Awesome. Now, we'll we'll probably talk about this a little bit later in terms of you know company and company culture. But I got to say, when I was doing research for this show, I watched the video that you guys have on the about page on olark dot com mm-hmm. uh, with the team. Yeah, and for sure. I got to say, I mean, I've seen a lot of like you know corporate company type kind of videos created, which kind of more look like propaganda, but. Um, I actually believed all those people that they really loved working with you know with you and at, at, at Olak. So uh, yeah, great video. Now before we dive into more details, we like to kick things off with a success quote to better understand what drives and motivates our guests. What is one of your favorite success quotes? Yeah, I thought about this for a little bit, and I figured I could always pull something out of from good to great. But I decided to go a little <laughs> bit non non traditional for you. So this is this is my quote. My quote is practice not doing. And everything will fall into place. And this is a quote from the Tao Te Ching. And so the reason I like this quote is because, uh, in a way, it's it's kind of making you think about work and the stuff that you do as um, it's something you don't really need to overthink. Like something that you just need to sort of do and not stress out about. I think that uh, thinking about uh, you know the efforts that we put forth as in uh, sort of helping us get in the flow or helping us like really just, you know, do what needs to be done and not like sit back and worry about like the, you know, a thousand different potential outcomes or whatever. It can be a really, really liberating. I'm I'm looking forward to talking about Olak, but you have such an interesting story before you even started that company that I really just want to spend a little bit of time talking a little bit more about what you were doing before you founded this business. So let's go back to like the, you know, the early days when you created that first business and just tell me a little bit more about how that happened. Sure. Sure. So this was, uh, we're going way back now. So we're, we're like right at the beginning of high school. This is like freshman year of high school. And so freshman year of high school, like most sort of computer, computer enthusiasts, I would like hang out on IRC and I would just kind of, uh, uh, you know, I, I was interested in security back then, more or less. So I, I was kind of mess around in that world. But uh, at the same time, I felt like I was just wasting my time doing that and then uh, playing video games. And I decided that, you know what, I'm spending all this time on my computer. I should figure out some way that I can get someone to pay me money to do this. And so I started off just doing little odd jobs for people. So installing PHP scripts. 
or just like little basic stuff for people that I'd met on IRC. And people would just mail me checks in the mail to do this work for them. Uh, and, and that was pretty cool. Uh, so I recruited some friends to help me, uh, some friends who are also programmers, to sort of help build software uh, for these other random people I'd met online while I was, you know, a freshman or a sophomore in, in high school. And we managed to save up enough money that we could uh, buy a server, uh, just like a machine. And back then, none of us had driver's licenses. So my dad had to drive us over to this data center where we were going to put this computer we had bought. And it turned out to be in some guy's basement, which is kind of funny. But uh, this company called <laughs> WDN.com. So we you know, go in this, this house, pretty nice house. And you go down to the basement. It's all set up like an office. And you go into basically the guy's laundry room. And he has all these racks full of servers and wow. looking lights. And so we're like, uh, this is a little weird, but uh, <laughs> let's let's try it out. So we uh, uh, you know, got a server there. And I think by the time we left WDN, we were one of their biggest customers because we had uh, we had really figured out this uh, need for web hosting back in like 1998 and really trying to simplify the process uh, with good customer service around it. Uh, and, and by my senior year of high school, we pulled in, I think, somewhere around like $170,000 a year, which, you know, was a lot wow. of money back there in, in high school. Did you know at a young age that you wanted to, to become an entrepreneur or was this really just uh, kind of a hobby for you that you were just, it was just fun what you were doing? That's a good question. Maybe this is just my, my Zen-like tendencies. For me, it was, it was, it's always been a lot of fun. I, I honestly, I don't even think I knew the term entrepreneur or how to pronounce the term entrepreneur for a long time. I, I'm not, I'm not sure when I, <laughs> when I finally learned that, that term for me, it was always just about, Hey, you know, I enjoy, uh, working for myself and I enjoy kind of controlling my own destiny. And so to do that, I need to get people to give me money and I need to provide them value for that, for that money. Uh, and I think it's where, where things started. And then, you know, as time went on, I think I, you know, I, I became more interested in just sort of providing this, this amazing experience to others, right? To solving other people's problems and, uh, and really, really just helping other people in a scalable way. What drove your interest in doing a PhD? Was it just to keep, just stay in education for as long as possible? Or did you have a kind of a longer term game plan in terms of where you were headed with once you had the PhD? That's a good question. I think. I, I, so my father is a, is a professor. So I saw that life and uh, it seemed pretty awesome in the sense that he got to control his own time to a large extent. And, you know, in a way, like control a lot of his own, his own destiny and the work that he was doing. So he got to work like on his passion. And so for me, a PhD seemed to be one potential path to be able to sit back and work on your passion a lot and really be self-directed. Okay, let's talk about Olog. How did you come up with the idea for that business? The origin story of Olog is pretty interesting. It actually was called Abla back then. And so and this is, uh, we'll go back to like 2007. So I'm in, uh, I, I mean, basically the intro seminar courses at my, uh, doing the PhD at University of Michigan. Uh, we had to read this, uh, this article by a Harvard Business School professor named, uh, I'm going to, you know, 
butcher the name, but it was like Shosama Zubrov. And in this article, it was talking about this future of disintermediation. So the idea that, um, like, uh, you know, what the internet does is allows more producers and more consumers to uh, conduct business with less middlemen. So you can go out and, you know, if you're a software vendor, you can sell direct to consumer. Uh, if you're, uh, you know, a manufacturer, you can sell direct to consumer. It's just easier to do that. And so that sort of sparked this idea in my mind that, well, how are these guys, how are these people going to talk to each other? And um, previously, when we had ran the web hosting company back in the 90s, uh, we had used live chat software to help us talk to our customers and it had been immensely valuable. Like it helped build uh, real relationships. It helped us uh, really understand our customers and deliver a high quality of service. I mean, it was sort of weird because we'd only offer live chat after we got home from school, <laughs> but I guess, you know, it was still valuable. You didn't even have to offer it 24 seven to get something out of it. And so um, we looked around uh, so I had this idea in my mind, like, okay, there needs to be a good way for a business to talk to consumers. Uh, live chat worked really well back in the 90s. I wonder what's going on with that. And so uh, we looked around, and uh, it was the same guys from the 90s. So this is like 2007, the same like four or five big companies that do live chat. You got live person. Then you had other companies like Bold Chat, Provide Support, and Instant Service. All these guys are like two English words. Um and as far as I could tell, they were just trying to copy live person. So, uh, you know, deliver something that was cheaper than live person to a slightly different audience, compete on sales, stuff like that. Uh, and so uh, we're like, oh, wow, you know what? Like if this if this future exists where everyone will need a way of talking, uh, you know, if you're a consumer talking to a business and existing live chat solutions haven't really changed in 10 years and are just as sort of clunky as they used to be 10 years ago, uh, I think there's an opportunity here. I think there's an opportunity to open up that live chat market to a large number of people who previously wouldn't be served by the existing players in the market. How did you get started by building the first version of the product? Um, well, the thing is, we were all engineers. So uh, as I said, we had this hosting company. There was three of us. Um, and, uh, we had actually tried to build a few other pieces of software too. Cause we really, uh, the hosting company had kind of gotten this like maintenance mode, like the four hour work week mode, which was really, you know, it was just, basically we were just running into the ground cause we stopped caring about customer service and it was, you know, really bad, but it was still generating revenue. Uh, but, uh, offset that revenue, we were also doing consulting. And so we'd like build software for other startups, uh, but we really hated building software for other people because, first of all, we thought that, you know, we were fairly opinionated. And I guess the people who were contracting us, like, we felt like, you know, we could do a better job designing their product than they could. Uh, and maybe we wanted to solve, like, more important problems. And so uh, we actually ended up building a few or at least prototyping a few other stuff, uh, other company ideas, uh, launching one of them, uh, which is an audio plugin for GarageBand. Uh, which honestly, I think if we had built it into an iPhone app, like two years later, it could have been huge. Uh, so we had this team of, of talented technical people that could build products. Um, and what we would do is we'd bill out our consulting hours. Let's, and we were just really dumb back then. And we, you know, should have charged a lot more money, but let's say we build out our 
consulting hours for like $50 an hour. We'd pay ourselves uh, like $20 an hour. And the rest of the time we'd pay out to ourselves over uh, just to work on Abla. So like we'd, you know, spend, uh, we'll, we'll just, you know, to make the math easier, we'd spend like two thirds of our time working on Abla, which became Olark and one third of our time doing consulting to fund that effort. And uh, that's kind of how we got the original prototype going. Cause you know, the original prototype was launched, I think in like March or April of 2007. And we just sort of had this thing on the side project on the side uh, for, for almost two years before we launched a paid account or decided to quit our jobs and make this thing like a real company. It was just kind of this fun side project. We had a lot of free users who kept demanding things and we'd have to go in and keep the servers up. But uh, once we had enough enough free users who kept wanting things from us, we decided, well, you know what, we can probably deliver some of these things that all these people keep asking us for and charge them money for it. And how were people finding out about this product? We built the simplest possible prototype, which is basically something that would take, you know, chat messages on your website. Uh, I think we modeled ourselves after the little like GTalk chat box inside Gmail. We're like, look, if they can do it inside Gmail, I bet we can do it on any website. And so we built a little thing that looked like the little G chat box and decided to put it on, uh, make it work on any website. And so we did that. And then we went out to forums and just started talking about it because people were asking questions like, Hey, I want to be able to like chat with visitors on my website. How should I do that? And so we would just go respond to their forum posts. At what point did you guys realize that you had a potential business on your hands that this could be the one thing that you could focus on? That's a good question. That's a really good question. I think at the time, like we were fairly risk adverse. So we were, uh, Let's let's think. So uh, it was me, Roland, and Kevin back then. Uh, and uh, I think what happened here here's actually the moment that made this thing real. It's kind of funny that this is how it went down, but more or less, uh, Mebo. Uh, I've been very active on Mebo's forums, just trying to like more or less just steal uh, users from them because because <laughs> they. I mean, like Mebo me wasn't their core product. And I was just like, oh, well, there's all these people who keep asking for features for Mebo me. Well, I'll just give them those features in Abla. And it since it's free, like, why not just have them use Abla? And uh, so I was very active there. And, and somehow they kind of got wind of, wind of us through that. And so I think it was in 2008, uh, Mebo, uh, I think Seth, their CEO, like shot me an email or something like that. And was like, said, hey, you know, we're interested in, you know, possibly acquire. I don't know if he said possibly acquiring your company or maybe he just was like, hey, I want to meet you guys. And so he, he flew me, Roland, and Kevin out to Mountain View. And, uh, and we were just like, oh man, we're going to make it big. We're going to like get all this money. Like we didn't really know anything about venture capital or Silicon Valley or anything. I, I think at the time I thought Silicon Valley was just like some place like out in the wilderness somewhere. I didn't realize it was <laughs> right next to San Francisco, but, <laughs> but in any case, so we, so we made it out there and, uh, you know, met the team and, uh, it felt surprisingly like a job interview and it, we we're just like, huh, why are we like, why aren't we talking more about our technology? And why are we spending all this time, like, you know, more or less informal interview style? Like, I don't think that they did a very good job setting our expectations uh, there. 
Um, but you know, they're, they're a pretty young company and I totally understand where they were coming from. Uh, so anyway, at the end of that, uh, what happened is, uh, the Seth was like, Hey, we're interested in buying your company. We'll offer you like tens of thousands of dollars for it. Are you interested? And I was just like, no way. Like that's, that's not really enough money to make it interesting to me. Uh, and then he said, also, I want to try, try to hire Kevin. And so I was like, well, you know what? You can, we're not going to sell the company, but you can try to hire Kevin if you want to. Uh, and so Seth tried very hard to hire Kevin uh, to come work at Nebo and do engineering there. And Kevin turned him down a couple of times. And I think finally they, you know, baked Kevin cookies and Seth flew out there to Virginia <laughs> to like go hang out with him for a while and talk about life. And finally they managed to convince Kevin to, to go join them. And so at the time it was just me and Roland. And I was working my PhD. Roland was, you know, he was doing freelance uh, consulting, more or less, a lot of design work, and kind of thinking about going back to architecture school. And so Roland and I were sitting there, and we're like, well, you know, Kevin's gone. And Kevin was like basically the tech lead. And both, both me and uh, uh, Roland were fairly technical, but Kevin was like, you know, genius. Like he went to, uh, you know, internationals for like computer Olympiad stuff, like really, uh, really bright programmer. Uh, one of the smartest, smartest guys I know. Uh, well, new before before Olark. I think now we've hired a lot of people who are a ton better than me at programming. Uh, but uh, back then, you know, I was I was very impressed by his skills, and so it was so it was basically me, Roland, and me and Roland. We're kind of like, well, do we make this thing real or do we just kill it? Because you know, we can't kind of keep going through life just thinking that this thing is on, like, you know, sort of like pipe dream company of ours, and so. Um, so basically what we ended up doing is uh, I think Ro- Roland applied to YC. Like Roland sort of took the lead on applying to YC to say to, and then we sort of decided like, Hey, we're going to go try to find some more co-founders. Cause we, I don't think we can do this alone and then uh, try to make this thing real. So we, so I think it was kind of like August or September of 2000, uh, Eight, yeah, August or August or September two thousand eight. We really decided, like, hey, you know, we're not going to kill it. We're going to try to make it real. And so once we decided to try to make it real, uh, I, you know, I started working, uh, you know, even working harder on the product. Um, I think that uh, you know, I spent a lot of time just you know talking to people, trying to network in the Ann Arbor uh, technology community, meeting other people who were like avid technologists. We went through a bunch of different sort of potential co-founders uh, to bring in like, you know, friends from college or other people we met. And eventually uh, I ended up meeting uh, Matt, who uh, sort of was, is this, you know, genius who works with me at uh, me and Roland at, at Olark. And also this guy named Zach, who's another like incredibly bright, very talented developer, manager, everything. And so, you know, it's actually quite to our advantage that Kevin ended up leaving and going out to Mebo because through that, it pushed me to like really extend my network and meet like other really amazing people who had, you know, different experiences for me that really helped, uh, you know, help form those original four people to make this thing, make this thing real. So you guys went through Y Combinator and then launched Olark in 2009. 
Yeah, in 2009. So we, you know, you can call the launch or whatever. We changed the name to Olark from Abla in like, I don't know, we'll call it like July of 2009. And then we launched on TechCrunch as Olark at the end of August in 2009. When did you get your first paying customer? Uh, probably before we went through YC. So we worked really, really hard to launch paid before we actually went out to California because our, our approach to this whole thing was, uh, was sort of like, so actually what ended up happening, Roland, Roland sort of set the things in motion to apply to YC. Uh, we actually got the option to defer going to YC back then, you know, the market was horrible and, uh, YC offered our batch, probably the only time they'll ever do this opportunity to defer because they weren't sure anyone's going to be able to get funding in uh, like January of 2009. So um, we pushed it back. We, we decided to push it back six months, our application back six months and just worked really, really hard. I think we actually launched uh, paid before our YC interview. Uh, so during that time, uh, so during the spring of 2009, we applied to TechStars. Uh, we started going to like conferences and presenting our our uh, presenting our, our product there, just trying to like build awareness. We were we were basically very committed on making this thing real, whether we got into Y Combinator or not. How, how did you position the product against these competitive uh, offerings that had been around for quite some time? And had a lot more functionality than anything you guys were offering. So how did you try to differentiate yourselves? We focused on a few things. One is we focused on beauty. We wanted to make ours beautiful and have an incredibly good UX. Uh, I think that no one else in the space was really concerned at all about uh, user experience because they built their products in the 90s and hadn't really iterated that much. I think mostly what they had done is they had expanded horizontally and had a very like uh, uh, sales-driven culture because they're mostly selling like Fortune 500, right? They weren't really selling direct to uh, uh, direct to consumer, more or less, like in the sense where it would be a turnkey purchase. And so, uh, because all these guys sort of had that older model of like, hey, we're focused on like a bunch, like a few big fish, and not just everyone. Uh, we were able to sort of enter that space and say like, hey, we're interested in everyone that they don't care about. And I think that, you know, our messaging and the way that we uh, sort of define the product and the way that we supported it uh, really uh, resonated with a large number of people who had, you know, previously thought that live chat was something that, you know, like Comcast and the banks had. And it wasn't really something that, uh, you know, would be on your like hip new shopping startup or, uh, you know, something that wordpress.com would use. I mean, we have like now, I think we've proven that live chat is for everyone. Um, but back then, I think that it was really thought of this sort of older and more clunky technology, uh, similar to, uh, similar to a call center. And it, and I think at the time it, it wasn't, we, you could almost position yourself as we're not live person and like everyone would be like, whoa, we love you because, you know, live person has certain incentives and they care a lot more about the people that pay them, you know, $10 million a year than the people who pay them $1,000 a year. And that's just like economics of their situation. And so there's a lot of these people that we were able to make money off of that, you know, honestly, like live person wouldn't care about that much because, you know, given their scale, What's like a thousand little guys when you could get like 
you know, one big guy. Are you an entrepreneur looking to buy a profitable online business or a founder ready to sell? Bupas is the number one platform for buying and selling profitable online businesses. With their exclusive listings, as well as listings from other marketplaces, and the option to submit your own deal for approval, Bupos has you covered. Plus, they're the first to offer built-in acquisition financing for qualified buyers of recurring revenue businesses, allowing you to access fast funding without personal guarantees. And their experienced M&A advisory team supports you every step of the way. To learn more, visit sasclub.io slash bupos. That's sasclub.io slash B-O-O-P-O-S. Sign up today and get qualified to start your entrepreneurial journey or sell your business at the right valuation with bupos.com. Okay. So you've, you've turned this idea into a product. Um, you've rebranded as Olark. You guys have got some, some revenue coming in and you've gone through, through YC. What were the main things that you guys were doing to acquire new customers? Uh, so, I mean, one thing that we do is, you know, Olark has our branding on it, right? So whenever you're using an Olark chat widget on your website, uh, for the most part, unless the, the customer's white-labeled it, you'll know that it's Olark. So that certainly has helped us a bit uh, because we've had a lot of really awesome, progressive uh, great companies using Olar. Um, and so, so that has been very valuable to us. Um, the other thing that we've done is focused and invested heavily in customer service. So uh, at Olark, everyone on our team does a rotation on customer service. Customer service is not this, this uh, silo that communicates with product via like a, a PM or like a head of customer service or via Jira or something like that. Like customer service is the lifeblood of Olark. So every new hire goes through the customer service onboarding process. Um, when we interview, we make sure people want to talk to customers. Uh, we have, you know, a triage team that deals with like tougher issues very quickly, like a team of engineers just dedicated to solving issues very quickly for customers. And I think that, you know, having a very strong word of mouth referral from our existing customers has been, has been valuable. Uh, and then we've also done uh, some partnerships, which drive, you know, they don't make or break your business, but they certainly help. So, uh, you know, working with, uh, so for example, we have many, many customers who use Olark and Salesforce together. We have many, many customers who use Olark and Shopify together, or Olark and Magenta, or Olark and BigCommerce. Uh, and so we're, uh, uh, so we make sure that we are in the places where, uh, and finding partners where we have common customers where together we can provide a much better solution than, uh, than apart. How much revenue were you guys doing in your first year after you launched? That's a good question. I like probably under 200 K or something like that. I mean, so it it was, it was pretty, it was pretty low (laughs) that first year. Uh, So yeah, definitely, definitely under 200 K I think is a pretty, easy thing it could have been even under 100k i'm just having trouble remembering exactly and had you hired any people by then oh no i mean we we bootstrapped this thing for a while so like we went through yc you go through demo day and now demo day is this feeding frenzy but back then uh in a tough market and you know like you know olark wasn't the sexiest company that came out of yc back then uh we had some offers to raise money, but it seemed like they wanted a lot of control. And we were, you know, we, we feel like, felt like we could build the business without, you know, needing to give up 
control for money. So uh, what we ended up doing was just raising about 60K. So our, our total outside capital that was put into uh, Abla or Olark is, uh, is $85,000. So uh, to give you an idea of like what the initial outside capital outlay was. Total, total to date is 85000 Total to date. Wow. Total to date. At, so at what point did you feel that you had traction and the business was really starting to grow? And at what point did you start hiring people into the company? I mean, honestly, the way we looked at it is it was just cash flow based. So we felt like we had traction and probably like we were very naive or maybe the market wasn't so frothy as it is today. But, you know, we just didn't have the cash to hire people. So we waited until we had the cash to pay ourselves. And then we, uh, uh, you know, pay our rent, pay us some money. And then, you know, we, we hired, uh, we hired someone. I think our first, uh, we had one contractor we hired towards the end of 2010. But like, honestly, we just didn't have enough money to pay him what he was worth back then. So we, uh, so, I mean, he ended up going off, uh, working at another company is now founding his own company now. So that's, and he uses Olark. So I thought that was nice. <laughs> pretty excited okay. about that. Uh, but, and then, you know, our, our first, our first full-time hire was, I think, in February of 2011. So let's talk about the business today. How many people do you currently have working at Olark? I'm always a little bit unclear of the exact number, but we'll, we'll go with 30. We have 30 people, give or take two, I would say is probably the best way of describing. So the, ca- the cash flow situation has improved. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, I, 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 you could say that we definitely, I mean, we're definitely in a position where, uh, uh, you know, we're still entirely funded off of our customers paying their bills, right? We have the 85,000 is, you know, it's, it helped us pay our rent basically right at the beginning, but it really hasn't helped much since then. Uh, and, and yeah, yeah. I mean, the cash has grown quite a bit and you can kind of, estimate out i assume given given what you can assume for headcount but uh yeah i I would say we've built like a pretty uh exciting and interesting business and what's your revenue looking like these days um i i still use multi-millions as my term i mean you can project whatever you want but well well the public number is multi-millions so i i did some digging around and i found a number somewhere i can't remember where it was Right. Well, so, just, so we've never given a public number. So whatever number is out there is probably speculation. So maybe somebody made it up. But I, I find a number of about seven million. I don't know if that's close or not. Uh, I, I I won't comment on, on <laughs> uh, one way or another. But uh, yeah. all right. So what's the one thing in your business that you're most excited about right now? So uh you know, there's a lot of things that I'm excited about, but I think the the number one thing that I'm currently excited about is that we're we're about to roll out some really interesting uh, changes uh, to our product to help uh, to help our customers uh, sort of track the quality of their interactions in a in a much stronger way. And we're doing this not as some tool to help managers have better oversight, but to really help individual uh operators who use olark to chat to improve to like self-improve and just get really really good at uh at helping customers and help them track when they you know do a really excellent job and track when maybe they don't do quite a quite a great job and also really tease out the difference between you know the operator doing a good job and the product 
being unsuccessful or like a policy being unsuccessful. Because I think, you know, a lot of feedback mm. that people get support is very much like Boolean. It's very much like, oh, thumbs up, thumbs down, five star, two star, whatever. And the response rates on uh, on surveys that are, are sent out like after a ticket is closed is, you know, less than 30%. A lot of people say they're lucky if they get 10% response rate. Uh, and so what we're trying to do is to really add an element of feedback into the uh, into the chat experience that's designed for everyone who's using Olark, not just as a like a high-end enterprise feature that we can get people to pay us more money for, but really to to elevate the quality and the expectation of quality for anyone who interacts with the customer uh, over Olark. So I'm I'm very excited about that. You know, one one example, personal example that comes to mind for me is, uh, you know, I use Uma for my phone system. Mm-hmm. And, you know, those guys offer a live chat. But every time I've contacted them on live chat, if it if it's anything more complicated than having to restart my device, they mm-hmm. always tell me to call on the phone. Uh-huh. And it's and it's it's pretty obvious that, you know, they're using maybe um less experienced people on the chat side. And if you really want to talk to somebody who knows what they're doing, you have to get on the phone. So, you know, I think that's more of a policy decision than necessarily the, the operator or the software. Yeah, Um, absolutely. And I think that, you know, that type of uh, experience is, you know, sure. Like it's useful to, uh, I mean, just daylighting that experience that you're having to the company in a, in a way that they can react to it is important. Uh, and so, uh, you know, when we think about reporting, we think about reporting that's not just for management, but is also for, you know, individual operators. Because we think that a lot of times, uh, you know, the way problems get solved are very much like bottom up. And so we're, we're like very, very interested in helping, you know, you know, anyone on, on the front line have data that's going to help them make, uh, changes inside their organization. All right, Ben, it's now time for our lightning round. I'm going to ask you a series of questions, and I'd just like you to answer them as quickly as you can. Are you ready? Yeah, absolutely. Let's, let's do this. Great. What's the best piece of business advice that you ever received? I was going to hammer on talk to your customers. I think early, uh, in the early stage of your business, uh, you know, understanding your customers as much as you can will really help uh, shape your product, uh, shape the services you deliver and uh, shape you as an organization. So the better you understand your customers, the better the better off you are. I'm going to I'm going to go for a double lightning round though cuz I have a second one which is uh Paul Graham talks a lot about how business is learning. So I think just thinking about your business as a learning exercise about like anytime you make a feature or you take an action, like what what does the outcome of this action tell me about my customers, about my business? Uh, so if you can like learn really fast and like treat everything you do as, as an opportunity to learn, uh, you know, that, that's, that is how you build a successful business. So you kind of broke the rules, but those are both great pieces of advice. <laughs> so I appreciate that. Thank you. What book would you recommend to our audience and why? All right. So, uh, I'll be nice on this one. I did have two in my notes, but I'll I'll go on. It's uh, fine. Two's fine. <laughs> I'll, I'll shoot for two. All right. I like breaking rules. So, uh, so my first my first recommendation is Leadership and Self Deception. This is a book. Uh, it, it's it's a management book, but it's mostly talking about self awareness. I think that uh, understanding yourself and sort of your internal biases and how you look at the world 
is incredibly important uh, as a manager and as an entrepreneur. And so because you're going to deal with a lot of conflict when you're uh, just building a company. Uh, That's natural. But understanding your internal biases when you go into that conflict is going to, uh, you know, affect the outcome. And then the second book I'm going to recommend is uh, it's kind of a funny book. It's called The Lapsed Anarchist Approach to Building a Great Business. It's about uh, it's by the guy who founded this deli called Zingerman's in, uh, in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And the reason I'm recommending this book is because I think that he does that uh, Ari does a really, really good job of breaking down uh, like a mission, mission and vision, which, you know, sort of drives a lot of entrepreneurial endeavors, like setting your mission and setting your vision in a set of very concrete steps with a very well-defined definition. And the reason I think that's important is because if you go out there and you do searches online, or if you look around, or if you're thinking about setting your mission and setting your vision, I think there's about, I don't know, like a hundred different definitions of what exactly that means. I think that in, uh, in Ari's book, he does a really good job of giving you some concrete working definitions that will sort of help you make mission and vision much more actionable for your company. Great recommendations. What's one attribute or characteristic in your mind of a successful entrepreneur? So I'll go back to self-awareness. I think self-awareness is, uh, uh, is essential and uh, helps with your conflict resolution uh, and you know, helps you build companies and cultures that, that you want to be a part of. What's your favorite personal productivity tool or habit? <laughs> I'm probably the worst at this, but I would say <laughs> personally, I, I don't stress inbox zero. And uh, I only check email a few times a day. I would say, like, don't stress being really, really quick about responding to things. Uh, understanding the difference between urgent and important is, like, in- incredibly, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a very, very good lesson to learn. I think that uh, a lot of things will come in that people will want very speedy resolution to, but it may not be important. It might be... Uh, uh, implied that it is urgent, but it could easily be neither. I used to work with a guy um, who used to have a sign on in his office which said, bad planning on your part doesn't constitute an emergency on mine. And I used to <laughs> love that. All right. If you had to start over tomorrow, how would you go about finding that next business opportunity? Uh, you know what? I... I I think that's a really hard question. Right now, I'm very, very dedicated to this this current mission of trying to improve uh, the relationships between businesses and customers. Uh, you know, live chat's one way that we're doing that right now. Uh, there's there's one other uh, problem that I think is is very interesting, but basically untractable. And so, uh, you know, maybe a challenge to entrepreneurs. But you know, let's let's say that we solve businesses and customers. My next. Uh, Next startup, I'd probably want to look at uh, uh, structural unemployment. I think that uh, technology creates a lot of opportunities for technologists and people that are surrounded by technologists. I think that it is not uh, – I don't think we've quite figured out how the information revolution uh, affects everyone who's not like you know directly part of writing the software that, that – uh, that increases productivity. So uh, I think it's a really interesting challenge to try to try to figure out how to create more jobs. I, I love that. Well, what's an interesting or fun fact about you that most people don't know? All right, so I'll give you sort of a, a little little anecdote. So um, so when uh, 
right after founding Olark, uh, we, uh, we would start off in this really dinky little house in Mountain View when we were doing Y Combinator, where we probably would have all gone crazy. Uh, the, the place that we moved to from that little, little, uh, townhouse, uh, was this big Victorian house in Palo Alto. Uh, and it used to be an old Stanford sorority house. The other thing it used to be is it used to be rented by Elon Musk. So we used to get Elon Musk's junk mail at that <laughs> house. And it wasn't just like, it wasn't just like someone to pretend to be Elon Musk. We talked to our landlord and she actually had rented Elon Musk for one of his earlier companies in the nineties. So, uh, I thought that was pretty hilarious. And then, the, and then the one thing on top of that, it, it was, it was like the perfect startup house. Uh, it turned out that Mark Zuckerberg had actually rented the apartment next door to that house in the past too. So we just felt like, you know, this is our arrival in Silicon Valley. <laughs> and then, uh, but another sort of related fun fact that very few people know about me is, uh, in the backyard of this house, there was a 70 foot foot, uh, high redwood tree. And, uh, when I saw this redwood tree and we first moved in the place, uh, I saw this challenge. I was like, I am going to buy enough gear that I can climb to the top of this thing safely. And so I, you know, through many trips to REI, I accumulated enough rope and harnesses and safety gear that I felt comfortable climbing to the top of this thing. So like, uh, for on, in the holidays, uh, Olark had this, this tradition called the lighting of the redwood. And so what the lighting of the redwood would be is I would climb or me and, uh, one of my friends, Wilson would climb to the top of this tree, 75 feet up, amazing wow. view. You could see the bay. You could see like the Stanford Hoover towers, like having your own private mountain in your backyard. And, uh, and we would hoist up a bunch of crazy lights to the top of this tree. And so, uh, one, for one of these holidays, we actually hoisted up, uh, like a little mini computer to the top that ran a bunch of crazy led lights and created an iPhone, uh, web app that you could go and like f- change the color of the lights that would sort of shoot up the tree into this like top <laughs> thing. And you could actually go to Palo Alto on University Avenue and like see the tree from the train station and fire these lights up. <laughs> it was, uh, that was, that was, that was so much fun. Like that was, uh, it was a good adventure, I think along the way. All right. And finally, what is one of your most important passions outside of your work? Uh, I think, you know, quite honestly, it's, it's definitely, you know, uh, spending time with my wife. I mean, I think, you know, she's been incredibly supportive to me. Uh, and, you know, I, I think behind any successful entrepreneurs, there are like friends and family that support them through like ups and downs and, you know, really, uh, you know, you know, you're not going to have a good day every day. And so it's good to have, you know, people to talk to and people who, you know, understand you and understand that you're more than your company and you're really, uh, you know, have other, other passions and stuff outside of that. So, and, and it kind of reminds me as well with my, I'm very lucky. I, I've got a great wife. And, and when I was thinking about, you know, quitting my very comfortable six figure job and wanting to kind of go out and do something on my own, I thought I was going to have to, you know, the biggest hurdle was going to be my wife, right? I mean, trying to persuade mm-hmm. her that I was going to give all this up and go and do something completely different. And, you know, when I kind of, you know, I prepared myself and I kind of went and sort of brought the subject up with her and she was like, okay, do it. And I was like, what, <laughs> what, you know, are we supposed to have like this big, big discussion and whatever? And she was like, no, you know, if, you, if it doesn't work out, you can always get another job. And that was it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, for sure. For sure. One thing I, I think that's great about entrepreneurship in the software industry. I feel like it's sort of like starting a band, except for you can always go get a real job. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah. like, it's like a no risk 
going out to Hollywood and trying to do the band. <laughs> All right. Ben, I, I want to thank you for joining me today. It's been a pleasure talking to you and, and learning about OLOG. Uh, I really appreciate you sharing your experiences and your insights. And, and thank you for letting us get to know you personally as well. If folks want to find out more about OLOC, they can go to OLOC.com. And if they want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? I mean, honestly, just shoot me an email, Ben at OLOC.com. Uh, you can try me on Twitter at, uh, jam, at, at Jam and Ben. Uh, but, you know, just shoot me an email or Twitter is probably the best, the best option. I try to be pretty accessible, but I am slow at responding to email. It's one of my productivity tips. So, we'll <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks again, Ben. All right, great, great meeting, Omar. Take care, bye. Are you still wrestling with rigid spreadsheets that slow down your team? JotForm Tables is a solution you've been looking for. JotForm Tables combines the power of a spreadsheet with the flexibility of a database. You can collect your data through customizable online forms and JotForm Tables automatically organizes and stores all the data submitted through your JotForm forms. You can also import and export files and collaborate with your team effortlessly. All changes are synced in real time, so everyone is always on the same page. But JotForm Tables is more than just a spreadsheet alternative with conditional formatting, data visualization, and more than 250 integrations, it's a complete productivity platform for your team. You can even automate tasks and workflows to save time. Ready to centralize your data, boost your team's efficiency, and take your productivity to new heights? Sign up for free at sasclub.io slash jotform. That's sasclub.io slash jotform. Do you dream of owning a profitable online business or are you looking to sell yours? Bupos.com is the number one platform for entrepreneurs and founders alike. With Bupos, you can discover exclusive listings, browse listings from other marketplaces, or submit your own deal for approval. As the first platform to offer built-in acquisition financing for qualified buyers, Bupos makes it easier than ever to acquire a recurring revenue business without personal guarantees. Their experienced M&A advisory team is dedicated to supporting you throughout the process, ensuring a smooth transaction. Don't miss out on this exciting opportunity. To learn more, visit sasclub.io slash bupos. That's sasclub.io slash B-O-O-P-O-S. Sign up today and get qualified to sell your business or find your next venture. Hey, are you struggling to grow your SaaS business? Well, you're not alone. But the good news is you don't have to settle for slow growth. The right tools can be a growth game changer. And that's where the SaaS toolkit comes in. This free guide cuts through the noise and shows you the 12 essential types of tools successful SaaS startups have used to get to seven figures and beyond. It gives you specific examples and makes practical recommendations to help you find the perfect growth tools for your needs. So stop feeling stuck. Visit thesastoolkit.com to download your free copy and unlock the growth potential you've been missing. That's the sastoolkit.com.